0: The Invitation I will send the boy to the market, to the monger at the end of the row, for sweet shrimp and three fish, the freshest, I will say, with their eyes still clear. Tell him to go to the wine shop, bring an amphora of Cleobulus's best, buy herbs of every kind, the most sweetly scented, while I idle through the day, awaiting you. That's gay. (laughs)
1: Welcome back, Orange Slices. I'm Noelle. And I'm Caitlin. And this is the Aetolian Archives, your Queen's Thief reread podcast to help you recover from Return of the Thief. It is April 10th, 2022.
0: And today we are discussing Chapter 8 of Return of the Thief.
1: I do still sometimes want to say Thickest Thieves when we do the intro bit. I feel like Thickest Thieves, it rolls off the tongue so well. (laughs) Chapter 8 of Thickest Thieves. But no.
0: This is a pretty calm chapter. This is kind of just like a slice of life, mostly about Ferris's lessons. And he's
1: forming this new relationship with Relius, and it's sort of different than any relationship that he's ever had before. He's trusting Relius, and Relius is trusting him.
0: hmm And it says at the, at the beginning of the chapter that um, Relius has no official position in the palace anymore, except his unofficial position. It's unassailable. He's a royal favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's still, like, causing issues. The current secretary of the archives, uh, is nosing around in this chapter, going through his papers when he leaves, putting a lock on his office. And and he's, he's upset s- that he didn't get Relius' office. Yeah. Even though his own office is better located and bigger, he <laughs> doesn't have the vibe. <laughs> the spymaster vibe. And it's... It's interesting that he's still doing spymaster stuff. Do you think that's more of the, you know, if you're underestimated, you're in a better position to do sneaky stuff deal? it's funny because- That's what they hit you with all the time.
1: His position was always, to some extent, unofficial. Like, he's the secretary of the archives, but everybody knows that that means the spymaster. And now he's nothing- But he's (laughs) sort of still the spot. Like, what he was doing was already under the table. That's true. So he can just keep doing
0: that under-the-table stuff. Yeah. I do wonder what the new guy is up to. Yeah, it seems like they've kept Relius for the stuff that they feel is really important because they trust Relius way more than this new guy who's just hired and they don't like him.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He's in the probationary period of employment at Walmart. And I mean imagine if you get hired to do like a really important prestigious job and the guy that they just fired they keep calling him. <laughs> and not only did he get fired, but they put him in jail. What does that look like from the outside? And you don't even get his office. <laughs> like relegated to keep his office. Disgraced, put in the dungeon, tortured. tortured. And then we're like, okay, but well, never mind, we like him again. <laughs>
0: That was just a little oopsie, but we were still in love with him the whole time. Um, and we get we get more insight into him in this chapter. We get to see what his whole house looks like, which is always a good indicator of people. It seems nice. His apartment, he has beautiful maps everywhere because he's a cartographer, which is cool. He has music and two flutes, mm-hmm. which
1: um, implies that he sometimes plays music with someone
0: else mm-hmm. he's so fleshed out and he's so fleshed out so suddenly yeah he's got all these different dimensions now it talks about his re- relationships with other people too not just Helaus, but ferris narrates uh that by this time he had found out about uh, aurelius getting arrested because a former lover of his you know used him for the medes And you would think that Relius would be done with love and lovers, but Ferris has seen a veritable parade of them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And multiple arguments when he's shown someone the door. (laughs) He's a very popular guy.
0: And yet with the the invitation poem that we read in the opening quote, it was copied for him by a friend, and he says, Yes, someone loves me very much, even with all my faults. And he says, Don't make that face. Someday you'll be in love. Ferris is like, No.
1: No. <laughs> Ferris's non specific age is specific in this chapter. Mm-hmm. The 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 non specificity is very on deliberate. Purpose, yeah. It says that he uh Relius asks him how old he is, and he he counts out the number of years, but it doesn't tell you how many years that is. And Relius says, Oh, you seem much younger, which I can tell is on purpose. Yeah. And Relius is kind of baffled by Ferris's interest in math. Like, <laughs> they seem not really a, uh, an education system that values STEM. He thinks that Ferris should be doing history. And Ferris has no interest in it, which is funny, because Ferris is the one who's writing this for historical record, and he seems to have kind of become a historian.
0: And Relius is more interested in teaching him also what's going on. Now, these days, with other political powers. Mm -hmm. Which is, we get, it seems like more info on the continent than than we've ever had before. Um, Which is kind of cool. And also maybe foreshadowing for later. Uh, He says there's a, uh, the Braylings are expanding their trading empire. And the Apeeti Islands are afraid of being overrun. The Gants are in a civil war, and if the Gants unite and then choose to side with only the Brails or the Pence, the Braille pentalions will come apart like wet paper, and nobody on this list can afford to be fighting the Medes with the Little Peninsula when all this happens. Mm-hmm. So I kind of read this as like a... When it says like, oh, if if the Gants consolidate power, then that's going to cause trouble for the rest of it. Like, reading it for the second time along, I was thinking, like, oh, maybe this is part of foreshadowing why the continents are scared of the Atolian Peninsula consolidating, yeah. you know.
1: And everybody's looking out for number one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the balance of power is so delicate. It can kind of shift at any time. But this is the chapter where Ferris learns the value of Leaving a record because he's sort of uninterested in learning to write, mm-hmm. even though Relius keeps telling him, This is your voice. And so Relius shows him the 500 year old poem and explains to him that we still have these words because this person wrote them down. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Ferris grows up to write this account, which is ostensibly not a record of himself but of history, but it is a record of himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, he didn't need to write about any of this. This is all very personal.
0: Yeah. And what do you think it means that after we've had a bunch of myths in the previous books and sometimes several to a book that this is the only inserted text we get in this book? It's so different than anything we've seen before. Yeah, we, we did see in Thick as Thieves one poem. But that also had other myths in it too. And this is very personal. Mm-hmm. It seems to be the myth or the inserted text that's in the in the series that might be the most connected to the characters. It's one a gift from one of them to the other, and it's not just like oh a random story we happen to be telling that happens to have like metaphorical resonances <laughs> with our lives.
1: Yeah, it's meant to communicate something, and it's like it's a record of somebody's personal feeling
0: yeah
1: and it's it's written down it's not oral tradition true uh and of course the stories that camet tells in thickest thieves are written down but they're uh sort of holy texts and they're written on tablets whereas this is somebody took a pen presumably of some kind and wrote it down on a piece of paper tolias appears briefly in this chapter he and and Relias are just like hanging out eating olives And Tileus helps Ferris down from the stool, which um, Relius never does. Mm
0: -hmm. And Tileus is also mentioned as being in on whatever Relius is doing when he takes a trip in this chapter. Um, And he knows where Kamet is because he's the one Ferris needs to bring Kamet's letter to, to send the letter. And Relius tells uh, Ferris that Kamet knows where Relius is traveling. Which is interesting that he's, like, still in on this whole thing. Maybe it's something Kamet helped planned with all those info sessions. Who knows? Yeah.
1: We do get to see in this chapter the fallout of Kamet's information.
0: Yes.
1: Sort of the, the results
0: of Thick as Thieves. It says there were huge celebrations in the city and everyone knew that the adventure wasn't just about revenge and... There will be no more talk now of two goats and an olive tree don't make an estate. So, Woo, Costas. Yeah, Costas's opinion. I'm sorry, Costas's image is really changed in public opinion, and it's it's funny to see to learn in this book. You know, in in, in King of Vatolia, you think like, okay, yeah, like the whole palace knows about Costas, but you never have any thought that its people outside the palace know anything about. Him or I don't know, but it's like, oh no, the whole country knows who this guy is. Yeah, you learn in this book. <sighs> There's so much delightful
1: passive aggression in the fallout from this. Mm-hmm. They just happen to come upon the Mead Navy. <laughs> <And> Whoops! <laughs> Whoopsie! <laughs> we destroyed it. And the uh, the Mead ambassador gives his farewell speech because he's being withdrawn, and it's full of thinly veiled insults. <laughs> And then Jen and Irene give thinly veiled insults back. Yeah, but and it's all very
0: polite. Jen seems sincere and the queen seems kind, which is... flipsies. It's opposite day. <laughs> gotta really pay attention when they do that. Marriage is when you hate people together. <laughs> and it, uh, another effect of blowing up the navy is it says for the first time in years people went back to their ordinary lives without the imminent threat of war hanging over them and so like everybody collectively like not the monarchs and whatever but people the average people think that the Mead threat has been kind of addressed and same yeah, we thing did in it. Edis and same thing in Sunus. so that's gonna cause more problems which that in the short term is
1: not great for Eugenides and Atolia or for, for Edis and Sunis, um, meaning the people, because they, people start to think that do we really need a unified peninsula anymore? Right. And so tensions that already existed about these alliances that have been made start to kind of bubble up and right. Eugenides is becoming less and less popular in Edis, which is of course going to come to
0: a head later on. I liked the, uh, the tiny detail in that paragraph about tensions in Edis that, uh, the country of Edis is disapproved of their queen's marriage because they, specifically because they didn't like her giving up her sovereignty to Atolia. Atolus, whatever. But they do like Sunis as a person. <laughs> <laughs> He's a likable guy. Yeah. It's hard not to like him. I love that. I love that this, this, this lonely little kid stuck on Letnos who has one friend who hates him. Is now popular.
1: Also, one of the passive-aggressive things that Eugenides does to the departing Mead ambassador is he he steals this little miniature that the guy has of his wife and then gives it back to him. <laughs> like, oh, this is our present. Um, but then he also gives him earrings for his wife yeah, and looks- says, oh, I just took it so that I would know what to get for her because I want it to match what she's wearing in her portrait. Yeah, that's it. but like it's this little power move like Jen he wants to remind this guy
0: that I am working under your nose yep it's something that you keep in your pocket at all times is not in your pocket and I have it
1: Mm mhm I apologize for borrowing it without your permission
0: (laughs) psych (laughs) and it's sweet that malheret loves his wife
1: imagine being an ambassador or something like that and you get sent somewhere and you're just away from your family for possibly years yeah. how long has he been there
0: years <laughs> i think but i think in in european courts they would take their families. yeah i was just about they to would say take that their i'm wives. surprised that he wouldn't be able to bring his wife. I would guess I mean if I were writing the series, I wouldn't have put that in there because nehuserish had to be single in Atolia to court the Queen. Yeah. But then he does have a wife. He does (laughs) so would have been awkward if she was in the country. I mean it's unclear if that's different like when
1: Atolia sends ambassadors somewhere. Yeah. But I feel like you never hear a mention of an ambassador's yeah. spouse, so I guess it would always be a wife.
0: We know Ornon goes to the Mead Empire, but we don't really get any more details about either him or any other foreign ambassadors beyond the fact that they are being sent out from Atolia. Mm-hmm. And it, it could also be that Malherat's wife
1: chose not to go to Atolia. Yeah, maybe. Maybe she thinks Atolia... Is a backwater, <laughs> and she doesn't want to be there, and she'd rather do whatever she's doing managing her estate. It's so interesting the sudden explosion of sexuality in this book, mm-hmm. the last book. It's like a gate opened, <laughs> yeah. And when, like, when Relius talks to, like, in from this chapter, you don't quite know yet that Relius and Talaeus are lovers, but when Relius is talking about love to Ferris, Ferris thinks about examples of romantic love and sexuality that he's seen in the palace, and it's a a real range.
0: Yeah, it's like now he knows why the male guard Legarus is staring with, with such whatever sadness and misery at Baron Zortix's younger son. Mhm. Uh when he's he's narrating if this friend who copied Relias' poem had loved him for years, he or she was quite the anomaly.
1: Yeah, it's clearly a world in which, uh, you're expected to make a heterosexual marriage, but, like, relationships are, like, there's not a, there's not a taboo on same-gender relationships, which mm-hmm. is, um... You know, has been true historically in many times and places. But to have that, I mean, it's so just like markedly different from every previous book. And I can only attribute it to like changes
0: in our real world, yeah. changes in young adult publishing. Kind of similar to what Tamara Pierce had to do, that she has a, um, the parents in her Circle of Magic series, which I don't think you read that one. Uh, they're two women who have had a house together for years, and they just raise the kids. <laughs> and it's never stated that they're lesbians until, uh, like, the 2006 book yeah. came out. And then, like, the 2008 book was allowed to say that they're in an open relationship. It's amazing how much has changed in the
1: industry yeah. just since we were kids. I remember having to really hunt for queer content.
0: Um, our high school had a, a shelf in the library of all LGBT books that you could just take without checking out. Mm-hmm. But I was just thinking about this the other day, that all of those books, like, I, I bought some of them when I was younger, and they're all steeped in an environment of, like, you know, like, it's, it's they're written by gay authors, but the uh, the, what's it called? Just the the atmosphere of all the stories is you're in a a place of threatening homophobia. Yeah. It's like all the kids are being threatened to get thrown out of their houses or whatever. Like, there's always something actively threatening, which that was like the only literature we had in high school.
1: Yeah. Uh, Keeping you secret. and on my mind.
0: Yep. Deliver us from Evie. Julianne Peters novels. Mm Mm-hmm. That changes you to have like not to go on a tangent. <laughs> <but> <laughs> that was definitely a very uh, uneasy thing to read, like, oh, this is what your life's gonna be like.
1: Yeah, yeah, when you're thirteen. Yeah. On one hand, that that was reflecting real experience True. in a really necessary way. And I often like nowadays sometimes There's kind of this new genre or this new tone of, like, we're going to create a queer story where there is no homophobia, kind of just, like, by magic. Mm. And those also put me off. I don't like
0: that. Because I don't... I don't recognize it. (laughs) But it's also true that in this story, there is not really any overt homophobia either. And it works here. Yeah, because it feels it's it's unlike those other i think in those other types of stories that i've read it's like you're just completely sweeping this real world problem under the rug because you don't want to deal with it but yeah it's not like which i get the universe why people different. are like for just the
1: this story yeah absolutely. we're gonna we want to just have a good time yeah, for like, five minutes
0: sometimes, sometimes <laughs> you need that yeah but this is this it
1: feels like she hasn't she hasn't created a world she's created a world that feels believable mm-hmm. in its attitude it's not a fantasy where it's not just today
0: mm-hmm. imposed on like a historical setting right and the politics of, of family structures are still realistic in a way that they would be for nobilities if if this was how it went you know like The family was a political entity. Yeah. You know, you weren't getting married because you love this person or because you're straight or whatever. It's because you have kids and they pass on your line and they inherit the money. Mm -hmm. These structures exist and then there
1: is a great diversity of of people and experiences Mm -hmm. within and underneath and around that. That is always true everywhere. And that was... Like, very implied in previous books in the series. Mm
0: -hmm. You
1: would get, like, references to somebody's lover without gender being specified. And you would
0: think, oh, uh, is something going on there? And there were all those implications with Costas and what people thought of Costas, but... Yeah. It was just implications. But it's good that all of that was there, so this isn't so completely out of the blue.
1: Yeah, it feels like... We weren't quite seeing something before we weren't mm-hmm. in a position to see and now we are which is right. really consistent with the structure of the series the themes of the series
0: yeah it's, it's always another viewpoint and then you get hit with another and then you get hit with another and it's just who gets to see what
1: yeah and i was so relieved because after thickest Days, i was a little annoyed <laughs>
0: <laughs> does jan and irene get to smooch No, everyone does We get more of a a zoomed-out view of the history of Atolia now that somebody has to learn it in history class. (laughs) That uh, first there were the invaders, and then the oligarchy. And this is where we learn that the oligarchy had... uh, Like, worked among themselves to weaken the monarchy, so they, they were the ones who really held power. And then... Uh, the oligarchy agreement, the baron's agreement was broken when Irene was uh, becoming, when Irene became someone's Mm fiancée because that guy was taking power. And then she screwed all her plans and brought back the actual monarchy. (laughs) (laughs) And that the queen's family is related to the Erendita's family but distantly, and there are no more closer connections to her than that because she killed them all (laughs) to keep her throne in the Civil War.
1: Man. Um, That's metal.
0: Yeah. And she spared Erendides because at the beginning he was an ally. Oh, this is the end of part one. It is.
1: After this, we have this beautiful illustration that we get in the middle of the book. It's a landscape with an elephant kind of in the distance. And that's the only illustration, I think, in any edition of any of the books.
0: Yeah, and we also get the map on the, uh, the inside cover of the book. And um, the illustrations...
1: There was are... a map in Thick as Thieves. Oh, that's right. But that's right. a non-map illustration, I think this is the only one. And so this is kind of the... It's that- it's that false victory at the midpoint where Mm -hmm. they destroy the mead navy and everything's going great and Ferris is thriving. Because there are only two parts. There's volume one and
0: volume two, although volume two is pretty significantly longer. Do you think she split it into two parts because part one is kind of like pre-war and part two is war? Because it starts off with- doesn't- wait. Am I right that it starts off with Costas on a horse? yep yes yeah okay yeah i think you're right
1: because like you were talking about this chapter ends with like oh the specter of war
0: was lifted and we're yeah. not worried anymore and that it's it's also on a on ferris's level it's like a, a peaceful a restful chapter daily life He doesn't have any huge contentions. Like, the attendants aren't trying to kill him. And (laughs) his grandfather's not doing anything. Doridius isn't in it. You know, like, all that other stuff that's happened to him. It's basically, like, what
1: could possibly go wrong?
0: Nothing.
1: Yeah. And (laughs) we smash cut to Costas on a horse. (laughs) Because we end with basically a list of what could possibly go wrong. Yeah. Like, in Edis, in contrast, sentiment was only growing against the High King... Even in Souness' own country, there were rumblings that the Meads were no longer a threat and that the need for a union of the three countries on the little peninsula was over. Relius warned me that Arendides hadn't given up any more than the Mead had. That's the last sentence. Mm. So you know that something's coming down the pike.
0: And you know, with that sentence and the rest of this about Arendides, I shouldn't have been blindsided that he was working with the Meads, but he was in the tent and I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> What's that guy doing there? <laughs> well, they're really like... So many different sides to the conflict. Yeah. I guess I just didn't expect him to be in it, like, that overtly. If he wants control of
1: Atolia, then does a mead takeover of Atolia really benefit him? Like, is he deluding himself into thinking that he would end up with the power that he wanted? Yeah. And, I mean, we have talked about how a lot of people... They don't see it as, so, threatening, and the Mead propaganda is certainly that we will bring prosperity. This is an alliance. You're gonna
0: get better roads or whatever. Like you're, you're going to be on the trading routes. Yeah, which is probably partly true. Yeah, I guess I just like I knew he wanted to control Atolia, but I didn't know he would like go that far. Hmm. But I can see how he would think he would, you know, get, maybe he'd be the number two or whatever once the Medes actually take over. Yeah. Camus' letter that comes to Relius that Ferris reads, uh, the letter that we also see a little bit of at the end of The thieves, Thieves, um, that's an intricately folded letter that Ferris opens because he wants to see how the folds unravel. Um... And I just, I read that and I remembered in uh Thick as Thieves and Queen of Atolia, there were a bunch of folded letters in Kamet's experience with Nahusrash. So I'm like, oh, is this a mead way of sending messages? Mm-hmm. It sounds interesting. Because, like, if the folds aren't unfolded or, like, if they've been messed with, you know that somebody's read it, but... But didn't Camet tell Ferris how to fold yeah. it back up so no one would know? Yep. So that seems easy to get by. Yeah, and then Relius says, like, oh, if it gets to you unopened, you're safe. But, like, what if someone just closes it? Yeah. And I
1: suppose Relius did know that Ferris had
0: messed with the letter. But so. he watched Ferris do that. So. Mm. Mm. But, yeah, Kamet would always open and then... Reshut in Who's Rush's letters to spy. Yeah. Doesn't sound very foolproof, but the folding system does sound really cool. We get another hint that Jen is still keeping an eye on Ferris. He left a, a box in the garden for Ferris because he found or spied on Ferris's little hiding spot under the bushes. Also, small thing when he gives
1: Ferris the map. It says, but this one is yours, said Relius. To keep, I wonder. Relius nodded and tapped the key hidden under my shirt. Outed in the garden, he suggested. Typo <gasps> We have found Copy it, editor. page one hundred and sixty-five of the first edition hardcover. Aren't you embarrassed? I'm not very fun at parties. <laughs> Chapter 8 next time chapter 1 of part 2 where we get Costas we get horses we get
0: spies and we get a whole lot of love that is your comments questions thoughts chime in at atolianarchives.tumblr.com
1: be blessed in your endeavors <laughs>
0: Production. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, anywhere podcasts are available.